Hey, welcome to another episode of the Quazcast here on thescore.com. This is Jeff Perlman, always uh, trying to bring you the unique, the funky, the interesting, the different, uh, the challenging in the world of sports. And today's guest is a really, really interesting one. Um, Richard Lankford. Uh, was a was a was a safety in the NFL for many years. He's currently a free agent. And I first came across Rashard and spoke with Rashard a couple of weeks slash months ago when I was working on a piece for Bleacher Report about Javon Belcher. And I spoke at length with with Rashard. And what struck me wasn't his necessarily his knowledge of Javon Belcher, who he knew you know casually as a teammate and, and had some insights into. What struck me was his intelligence. And he was really insightful and really sort of added a lot of depth about what it is to be a professional football player. And, and I always love guys like that. And what I love about this podcast in general is, is I'm, I'm allowed the chance to ask questions that go beyond the cliches. And, and, and I, I'm not, there's not a pressure to always speak to the Alex Smith or the Colin Kaepernick, that I can speak to the guys who, who aren't always spoken to. And that, and that's why Richard, it is, it is an absolute, absolute pleasure for me to have you here. And I, I thoroughly appreciate you taking the time to do this. I really do. First of all, Jeff, I, I'd say thank you for allowing me to, to do this with you, and I'm, I'm honored. So, I mean, ask me whatever you will. I'm going to give it to you as straight as possible, and um, it'll be my story more so than anything. Well, that's great, and I appreciate that. And let, let me start with something I was wondering. Um, you, so you were you came out of Vanderbilt in 2009. You were undrafted. Uh, you were you were you were on the roster of the uh, of the Eagles in 2009, um, practice squad. Then then you were at the Chiefs for for a couple of seasons. Then with the Lions in 2012, little CFL time. And I wonder, what is it like? Literally, what is it like to line up in the NFL? Your 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 safety, you know, your your uh, and and to line up. And to look across the field and to see Calvin Johnson or to see Andre Johnson or to see some offense with weapon after weapon after weapon and you have to stop it. Like, what the hell does that feel like? <laughs> hey, one, it's, I mean, it's fun. It's fun when you grow up. Uh, like, I've grown up all my life around competition. I've played sports since the age of five. So, um doing it for fun. Like it was still very fun to me when it was very new and really thinking about the guys who are the big name, the household names and their, you know, their jerseys are sold and, and they're the ones who has the, the major fans and the big contracts and, you know, really signing up to play this sport, to be on the field with, with guys like that. Like it's, it's fun. It's exhilarating but the challenge that you've always known as a kid is still there. So to, to a Calvin Johnson lining up versus me or anyone else that it's, it's still that same childhood game. He's just another person. Yeah. He, he may be taller, he may be bigger. So I guess it, it was an absolute great experience, man. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Is it, is it, is it, 
is it ever scary? I, I know that may sound like a dumb question, but I actually don't think it is. Is it ever, it is a very violent, a very physical game. You're playing against freakish, 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 freakish athletes. Is it ever just scary? Are there moments of fear in the heart of a professional football player? And I, I'm, um, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm sure there is. And being on the outside, like now being a free agent for a year and not having a chance to be on a team, looking at it from the outside, being that, like being on the field, being on the team, being on just playing a game, you don't think about that. You think about your assignments. You think about um, your your defensive plays, or you know, am I going to make this tackle? Things like that. Like that. That's the focus. But being outside of it, kind of seeing it, like, wow, these are freakish athletes. These guys are tall. They're fast. You think about every time you either are getting hit or hitting somebody. It's a hard, a hard collision to the body and just thinking about head trauma now and people tearing ACLs and breaking ankles and legs and just tearing muscles. Like it's a very harsh, grueling sport, but it's fun. People, we enjoy it for the love of it. But like I said, it's just, it's all a matter of perspective. Being in it, you don't see it as that because of the adrenaline rush on the outside, but being outside of it for the moment is like looking in on it. It's, it's, <laughs> you got to think there's a little bit of crazy in everybody who, who plays ball. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm always fascinated by by the guys. Like, uh, you'll hear like an interview with Earl Campbell, the old Houston Oilers running back, and, and the guy can barely walk, right? And, and he's just a, He's like a, he has the mobility of a rock these days and his knees are gone. And sometimes he's in a wheelchair and someone will say to him, Earl, do you, if you could do it all again um, and, and, and maybe not play football, but you'd have your mobility now, would you, would you change it? And they always say no. They always say no every single time. And I never get that. I'm always confused by that because I would think (laughs) football is, you know, eight, nine years at, at the most. And then you have the rest of your life. But you probably – do you get it? Do you sort of understand that way of thinking? I understand it. I mean, you play a sport where the, every, pretty much everybody who's in it, you live on the edge. Like you live for the next play, the next snap, the next tackle, the next interception, whatever it is that drives you as an athlete. Um, that's what you're living for. In the, you're living in that moment. And looking back on it, there's nothing you can change about the past anyway. So I, mean, I understand what guys say, you know what? No, I can't. Like, I wouldn't trade it. Like, I enjoyed that moment. And that was just a part of that, part of life for that. But now they're dealing with life in a different way. So I, I think, I think I understand that. Like, I wouldn't trade anything that's happened to me so far, um, <laughs> except for wanting to be back on the field. Right. But outside of that, like, I, I've, I've enjoyed every experience of the time to get to know um, guys from different, you know, areas, different backgrounds, um, different walks of life. And you all have that same passion to do the same thing. It's, you know, I'm going to take this. I'm gonna, I was going to say, I'm going to take this in a reverse order. I usually, I usually, I, I think ten, generally journalists, we, we think chronologically, but I'm actually going to go, I'm going to be anti-chronological. You, um, <laughs> you played, you were, as I said, Eagles 2009, Chiefs 2009, 2011, Lions 2012. You're now looking to get back in the game. Um, maybe this is a dumb question. I have no idea. Why aren't you with a team question. right now? Yeah, there are, I know, but you sound like my mom. There are no dumb questions. Why aren't you with a team right now? Um, and I'll, honestly, I think it's just I hadn't had the right opportunity at the right time. Um, I've come to learn being out of it that a lot of life is about timing and the right things happen for people at the right moments. 
for the guys who are big stars. Everything was happening for them at the right moment, at the right time, and they, you know, performed when when given the opportunity. Um, I think I'm not playing right now due to um, my lack of insight of the game as a as a as a fun thing. After seeing the business side of, of football, I started to kind of get lost in it personally. I, I thought about this today. I mean, I, I'm a, I, I consider I'd consider myself a thinker, and I was thinking about as a kid, you grow up playing this, doing this one thing that you really, really enjoy. Say, for instance, it's a a child who's putting blocks into a square hole and circles into the circle and just matching them up continuously for years after years and just still enjoying that. And then you go to a level where, hey, I can make a life doing this. And um, there's stuff added. You got to continue to study. You got to continue. I'm talking about college now. You continue to study still to practice your art. And then there's more social life involved with it. But you still enjoy doing that thing. But once you take that thing and it's not as enjoyable as putting just putting blocks, it becomes a job. You know, a little bit is taken away from it. So um, I think... And I hope that answered the question more so than anything. <laughs> yeah, well, do you, I mean, is it, are you right now a very frustrated man? Are you, do you watch? I mean, I, I, I was, I, I honestly was at, at some point in 2009 when I was on practice squad, I felt like I deserved to be there. So I could, I can look back now, say maybe I, not, I might not have worked as hard as I would have had I chose you know, a different mindset, a different perspective of where I was. I wasn't I wasn't ready to accept the backseat role, if that makes sense. And a lot of guys I I think don't make it because of that. Um when you're a college when you're a high school star star high school player, you go to college, you expect to start that first year. You expect to do everything that you've been doing from then on. And you you kinda have to take a back seat. In college you were guaranteed that time. You were on scholarship. So you've got a chance to learn and grow and realize that it's really not about you. It's about the team. And they taught you in college. But as much as you, if you become that player in college like you were in high school, once I got to the NFL level, I still wanted to be that player. But I, I wasn't ready to accept my role. So not being able to accept my role at that point kind of carried on with me and moving and just thinking I'm getting my shot, but never really being prepared for the opportunities that I have presented to me is what happened to me. And um, from an outsider standpoint, I didn't really get a lot of film that I needed to show my skills as far as being a, you know, a top tier safety or top tier athlete on a team. So, you know, I kind of lost out with opportunities, but I still take responsibility for the things that happen, you know? So. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a, uh, you're from Tanner, Alabama, home, home of what, Richard, anything? Home of the Rattlers. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I meant. Of course, home of the Rattlers. You know, we yeah, we're a big fan. And uh, you know, I mean, you're you're sort of the, the 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 story. You know, the story that we've heard a lot. You know, football, basketball, baseball, track and field star. Um, you went on to Vandy, started all four years at Vandy. Um, you were rated heading into the 2009 NFL Draft. Uh, Gil Brandt had you rated the 13th top safety in the draft, and and I wonder. I guess we'll start professionally from there now, heading back. You're, the draft is taking place 2009. Are you, are you thinking to yourself, I'm going to get drafted today, this is, or one of these days. This is going to be great. <laughs> what was that? What actually happened in the 2009 draft that you recall? 
Man, that uh, that was one of those startings of frustra- frustrating moments. You know, it started, it started there. I'm like, all right, I'll be drafted. I was uh, in college, my last two years in college, which were awesome for me personally. Uh, my my redshirt junior year, my roommate, it was me, Earl, and um, another buddy of mine, Jerry Hawkins. He was a running back. And we put our names in to see where we'd be drafted. And Earl and I both were like, all right, if it's time to get out of here, like we're going to leave. He ended up leaving and obviously getting drafted in third round. And uh, the next year, I got a chance to just kind of just do football in a very little school, had an awesome senior um, schedule, mm-hmm. but ended up thinking that I was going to get drafted a little higher, which was the reason why I stayed and didn't get drafted in, what was it, in April? Yeah. End of April? Yeah. It was almost crushing. Like, I felt like I would, that would happen. I knew it would probably be a second day deal. I didn't know that. I look at like you mentioning it, mentioning being 13th top safety. Like that's surprising to me. I didn't know. Yep. I never really kept up with that kind of information. But um, that you know, it was a shock to my ego. Well, where were you? Like, were you were you watching the draft on TV? Were you yeah. in your house? What? Where were you? And what do you recall of that? Um, I was at home. I trained in Atlanta and ended up going back to Nashville for a little bit after pro day and was at home before the draft, you know, I'm thinking I, thinking I was going to get drafted and was with my family. And we ended up hanging out at a restaurant near my grandmother's house, probably like a mile from my grandmother's house, but a very small, like hometown, Southern, um, Southern restaurant. And I just had all my family there. It was, it was good to be around my family. It was frustrating for me wanting, you know, to get my my number called, but it was still a great experience that they were there to support me. I didn't get drafted. I got a few calls at the end of the draft, and it didn't happen. But just after the draft ended, I got a chance to go, um, you know, to pick to go with Philly. So that right. was still a great experience. Is it? Is it? I mean, because I remember, so I, I covered, I've only covered actually one NFL draft in person. And I remember um, – it was a year Keyshawn Johnson was picked first by the New York Jets. And, oh, really? uh, and Texas A&M had a running back named Leland McElroy, and he was the one guy in the green room at the draft who was not taken. And the fans started chanting his name, and, and you know, he was the one guy there, and he was lonely, and it was really – you just felt bad for him. Even when he was drafted by the Cardinals in the second round, you just felt bad for him. And I'm wondering, you're in this restaurant, and you're with your family. Are you – Heartbroken? Are you embarrassed? Are you resilient? How are you feeling as the Browns um, pass and you are not picked? I, I, I think, thinking back, I think I may have been a little embarrassed. Uh, having come from, you know, that place, from well, from where I'm from, from a small town, and gone to college at a really good school and playing in a great conference, and being one of the top athletes to come out in my at my school, more so than anything, as a senior, I uh, I felt like I felt like I let them down. I try to keep a, we're we're our own worst critics, you know. So just felt like I may have let my family down in thinking that I was supposed to be drafted, but I've I've learned better since. 
Right. Yeah, well, is, is that your first? I mean, the one thing you hear repeatedly from every guy who goes through professional sports is uh, there's always a moment when you realize in a very harsh way that it's a business, not just fun, fun, happy, happy. And sure. was that your first moment of this is a business or, or, or did that come, I don't know, shortly thereafter or down the line? That came after. It, it came after once I saw that nothing was promised. And I, I will say that I've had a great experience with every team that I've been with. I've enjoyed being there. But seeing it, it, it was it was different to, to, for me to see so many guys go in and out of the system. Like it's really like a job. It's a job. It's a job interview. Right. Every single chance that you get it, get on the field, you're interviewing every single day. I wasn't prepared to understand it at such a young age, but seeing guys come and sit by my locker and they'd be there for a week or maybe two weeks or maybe even a day be there and they're they're gone the next day and it's like you can't make friends in this business because you don't know where anybody's going to be you don't even know if you're going to be there anymore and then uh what was there was another thing i'm just sharing the thing that i think bothered me the most was um how long i i i i felt it took to get on a team or get on the, the active roster because uh, out of the class of practice squad players that I was on the team with in Philly, by the time that I got a chance to go to Kansas City, I think seven or six of the eight practice squad players had got signed to a team. Wow. That must have been frustrating. Yeah, yeah it was kind of – it was crazy. I'm like, oh, why is this not happening for me? But yeah. – yeah. Well, you were, uh, you you know, uh, as you just mentioned, you signed with the Eagles after going undrafted. You were, uh, you didn't make the team. You were, you were signed on the practice squad September 7th, 2009. And then uh, you're claimed by the Chiefs on Christmas. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty freaking good Christmas gift right there. You're claimed by the Chiefs Christmas 2009. You go on the 53-man roster. Um, didn't play in any games. Six games in 2010, 11 games 2011. Um does it live up to the hype? Does being in the NFL, does being an NFL player, so you're, you're Rashard Langford, you're growing up in Alabama, Tanner High School, you're playing Pop Warner as a kid, uh, you go to Vandy, you're dreaming of the NFL. Does it live up to the hype? I think it does. I have to say it does. Um, you, can't, you can't get a feeling like that anywhere. Um, if, especially when that's something you've grown up doing your entire life. Um, it's, it's one of the top and best entertainments of people today. Like people enjoy watching football and it's, it's just awesome. There's so much that can, that comes from, and I, I think I, I enjoyed what I've learned from it more so than anything. Well, what are the, uh, what are the, like the, uh, what are the highs of being an NFL player? Like what are the, what are the great moments? What are the, where's the euphoria in, in, in the NFL? Where does it come from? Where did it come from for you? What brought that out the, in you? The wins, but more so the big hits. I wasn't given a lot of responsibility, but it's a lot of responsibility to be on special teams. Uh-huh. And um, as a special team player, I wanted to be the best special team, best guy on kickoff, the best whatever it was, whatever team we were on. I wanted to be the best at that. But uh, a couple of my highlights were like big hits. We when we beat uh, San Diego here in Kansas City, 
uh, I think it was Halloween night, the fumble at the very end of the game that was recovered by Andy Studebaker. Seeing the ball, well, I'm on the field, I got a chance to play defense at this moment. Seeing the ball out and just trying to get to that ball to secure a win, like that was top moment in my life. Uh, playing Pittsburgh and being the first down on the win kickoff, I mean, on a kickoff, um, had been emphasis on, this, on that week of this guy is dangerous <laughs> back here. Returning, this retirement is dangerous. I'm like, all right, I'll make it a goal to, you know, kind of shut that down myself with my team. But, you know, handling my role on the team and got a chance to make a big hit. I, I, I'm a big hit type guy. Right. I enjoy that part of the game. Do uh, is it? I've never understood how a big hit doesn't hurt the hitter. You know, like you always see the big hit and the receiver goes down and he looks like he's about to die. And the defensive back is kind of standing over him, flexing a little bit. How the heck does that hurt you as much as it hurt his, hurts him? Uh, or does it? Or does it? Or you're just pretending? You're, you're just I, you're just faking. I'm not. I'm not thinking it's a physics thing, man. And I, and I really couldn't go into explaining it. But does it hurt you as much as I mean? Are there moments? Are there moments on a field of severe pain that you just have to completely conceal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You run into a running back, a fullback, or running into a lineman or any anything like that. Like, that that stuff hurts. But weak man, weak man loses. Yeah. You can't show fear out there in that, in that game. Right. What is the uh, – give me the greatest – the singular greatest amount of pain you've ever experienced in football. Like, what was the moment where you were just, you know, crushed – Pain-wise, if you had one. Uh, man, college, first game of the season, my junior junior year, missed tackle versus South Carolina. My teammate ended up swinging his leg up, and I got two ribs cracked. Oh, by far the worst pain ever. Yeah. Wow, that doesn't sound. Uh, fun. That hurt. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. Um, so we spoke when I when I spoke with you uh, for my for my piece on Javon Boucher. We spoke a lot, and, and where I found you really, really, really fascinating and, and sort of insightful is about sort of the life in the NFL. And, and you yourself, you know, spoke to me. I, I thought it was, like, refreshing and, and unique. And I also I spoke to Pierre Walters, who, who talked about this too, you know, about how – and we, we talked about this in relation to Javon Belcher, actually, about how the life can kind of consume a person and how – it's easy to get caught up in sort of, I don't know if it's celebrity or if it's just the sports lifestyle or if it's sort of rolling with it all, but that if you're not, if you're not careful, you can sort of become something you're not. Um, and I wonder like people, I feel like this is a discussion that's interesting to have because not that many people talk about it. Right. What is the life? So what are the risks? of the NFL life or the professional sports lifestyle? What is, what are the things you as a young, whatever, 23 year old guy in the league? Um, what are the dangers? What are the perils of life as a pro athlete? Celebrity. I think celebrity is, it's pretty much the kickstarter to, to everything that gets crazy with NFL players or professional athletes in general. More so because, I mean, look at, at, at the world today, the people who have money are famous. And if you have money, you think that you're famous because, you know, it, it kind of works 
vice versa. And there's a sense of entitlement. There's a sense of um, celebrity more so than anything. And people get lost. I feel like people get lost in that instead of continuing to be the person that they have always been. Money changes things. Money changes people. Money changes situations. We're all aware of that. And uh, I think it's really the celebrity. Like, the going out, not only being a, a person who looks different than most other people, more so because you're a professional athlete, there, you're going to be a lot taller. You may be a lot bigger, more athletic looking, whereas majority of American people don't look like you. So being noticeable just by your stature and then being asked whether or not you play, I'm sure it happens to a lot of people uh, like that. People, I, I think people are, are attracted to that. They're attracted to celebrity and professional sports or professionalism in general. So it's, it's a it's a life to get get caught up in because you're in a fishbowl. People can see everything that you do, and when you get in trouble, say, for instance, someone has a nine to five Monday through Friday, and they get in trouble at their job, they're not going to be suspended. They're not going to be whatever because it's such a different type of world, and it's 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 a bubble. When you're in the same process for years after years. That's what you know, and I feel like, yeah, I mean, that, that that's the best way that I know to answer that question. It's, it's the celebrity that gets in the way of people and the sense of entitlement. So how did you, I mean, how did you handle it? Did you handle it well? Did you handle it poorly? Was it tough? Was it easy? Oh, man, I, being here today and being able to tell you, tell you my, to tell you a little bit about it, I feel like I've handled it well, but there were some rough patches. Um, where I made some decisions that I know looking back were horrible decisions, but I'm, I'm through it. I got a chance to talk about it and um, hopefully help others. Right. Do you, um, you know, we spoke at length and about, about Javon Belcher, who, you know, for people who don't remember, uh, a little more than a year ago, he was the Chiefs linebacker who, um, uh, you know, absolute, probably the worst tragedy I've ever heard of in sports. Um, killed his, his, his girlfriend and then drove out to Arrowhead and, and killed himself in front of the coach and the GM. Um, and I wonder how, how did that, how did that affect you if it did? I mean, how did, how did you, when you heard about that, um, how did it affect you? How did you respond to it? How often does it pop in your head, if ever anymore? Um, since our interview, yeah, but that was the first time I had really talked about it again or brought it up because um, it was it was a very tragic event when you know somebody and you know the person that they are and then you also see what's being put in the media and the and the person that he's being portrayed to be when no one ever really knows the truth like no one knows what anybody was going through in that moment and um, at when it happened I was shocked and. I, I guess still a bit unbelievable. You know that it's happened because it is very real. But um, I don't, I, even today speaking on it, it, it's an emotional subject to say the least. Like it's a, a, a person who, who had 
didn't really have an outlet. I, I personally feel like he didn't have an outlet, a way to solve these problems. And uh, that's, that's about, that's about it, man. Right. Well, it's interesting because um, I think one thing people don't, I feel like fans don't want to hear athletes complain. You know, they don't want to hear, you know, wow, wow, wow. I have this or I have that. And because of that, it seems like, the pressure that comes with the NFL with being a professional athlete and in particular being an NFL player is insane. The pressure to survive, I suppose, the pressure to perform. Um, it's, it's, it's there all the time. Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's always there, but the people who get those opportunities are made for those for those situations. Some people are not fully prepared for them. Uh, an athlete knows how to be persistent. They know how to be consistent. They know what hard work is. They know what dedication is. They know what teamwork is. And that that's what's taken to such a high level in order to make it to the NFL in general. The people who make it are usually good teammates or they're really hard workers. I mean, most of them are, are very talented made for those positions but some stuff like pressure from fans like if if a person has a hard time with something nobody wants to hear about it nobody wants to hear about the complaining say for instance the the issue in Miami as much as it was the truth people look at playing NFL ball playing playing professional athletes playing professional sports in general, it's such a glamorous job. It's such a glamorous thing. There's nothing but goodness that can come from it, but not taking notice of the hard work or the dedication or things that could possibly be going wrong within the organization or with the team or the players or themselves. And going broadcasting it, nobody really wants to hear it. Well, I'm, am I, am I wrong? Let me ask you, am I, am I, um, am I naive in that, so you mentioned Miami thing, and it happens, and it's huge news. And it seems like everyone in the NFL was kind of standing behind Richie Incognito. And the general take was this guy, Jonathan Martin, was just a wuss and needed to man up. In the NFL, that seemed to be the take. And from afar, I was thinking, this is insane. This this doesn't make sense to me. How could, how could this guy be the wrong and the other guys are right? But... Am I missing something about sort of the football culture? Is that is that just my naivety? Man, I I wouldn't say you're missing anything. I just I don't know that situation as well as you may. But uh it's it's when you think about it, the way that kids are now, it's bullying. But nobody wants to hear that hear about it at that level because we're adults. But what is an adult? You know that that you know that's defined by maturity. I feel like, and if you know that situation is still going on at such a high quote unquote high level, these still still twenty three, twenty four year old kids. There are a lot of kids that play this sport. So if you're bullied, or maybe he had a situation where he was bullied as a as a kid, he may have still felt those things and what was going on. That doesn't make it right or wrong, but the culture itself. You know, it, it decriminalizes. It makes it almost a joking matter instead of something serious. Because yeah. we we don't know as a public what was really going on in that situation, or what um, 
what was the other kid's name? Jonathan uh, Martin. Jonathan Martin. Jonathan Martin. Yeah. I don't know what he was going through either. So it could have been it could have been something that pushed him to an edge to where something like um something tragic could have happened. But he took a stance and and uh you know, handled the problem, handled situ handled the situation. Is that is that a uh, when you hear about when you hear the word bullying in the NFL, do you think, Wow, that's crazy, I never saw that or have you been in situations, not asking for names, but just curious, have you been in situations in your career where you've seen whatever guys you think taking it too far, uh, pushing other players, maybe rookie hazing, et cetera, et cetera? Nah, nah, I've always been, like I said, I've enjoyed every experience I've had with um, playing on the different teams. All the guys were really cool, and it was all, it was very team-oriented. It, it gave me a feel of like college a lot of the time when I was really around um, around the, when I was around the teams. So no one ever, no one ever taped you, no one ever duct taped you to a goalpost in a uh, 20 degree uh, cold. No, no, not, not I. I mean, you, you pay your dues, you, you carry the helmets, you do, you know, things of that sort that right. expected. You're the new guy, you know, earn your dues, pay your respects and yada, yada. Right. Right. What is it? Uh, what is it like? Uh, 2011, the Kansas City Chiefs, not very good. That was the season you were on the team. Uh, Todd Haley fired during the season. Romeo Cornell installed his coach. What is it like? You know, I've talked to a lot of athletes uh, throughout my career about the highs of winning and how great it is to win and the joys of winning. And, you know, it's like life is a party. What is it like, though, to lose and to lose regularly? It's harder. It's a lot harder than winning. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. At least. Um it's disheartening because you put in a lot of hard work. A lot of guys pay, you know, pay the dues to, to win. You work out how many ever times a week you're studying extra film, you're practicing as hard as you possibly can. And when you don't see the hard work that you put in come to fruition in a win, then, you know, it's disheartening. But when it's repeated, there's never a sense of, um, of, lax I guess to say like you don't relax you still want to win it just makes it makes winning that much better when it does happen all right why well, I, I uh I mainly covered major league baseball during my my career at Sports Illustrated and I always mm-hmm. I was always fascinated by like game 154 of the Milwaukee Brewers season when they're you know 40 games under 500 and uh you know players literally there's no chance of a winning season no chance of playoffs and I wonder if for for an NFL player, are there points in the season where you're just thinking to yourself, I just I just really want to go home, or I just you know what this Sunday I think I just want to go to the movies. Like, <laughs> are there are there moments like that, or there when you're whatever? There's one game, it's the final game of the season. It's ten degrees outside. You're not making the playoffs. It's not happening. Is it is it hard at times to find motivation? I, I can't speak for everyone. I've always thought in every single moment in a game that we will win. Losing to me was Is that true? Wait, is that really true? You're down thirty to you're down thirty to three. There's five minutes left in the fourth quarter. In Richard Langford's <laughs> mind, we're winning this freaking game, damn it. Like not, that's not, not not in situations like that. Like when you know that it's over, but close games when it's maybe sixteen to fourteen and there's a couple minutes left in the game and they have the ball and they've been on a rally or even down seven or fourteen. Two scores is always, I think, can happen in, in a matter of minutes. It takes a few plays to get two scores on the field. So 
until the game is over with, if it's close enough to be won, I think we can win it at every wow. moment. It's, wow. It's weird. And do you think most people share that? I'm actually being serious. Do you, do you feel like most of your teammates, when you've been playing through your career, do you feel like that is a common thought process for for football? No, no, it's, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Being a free agent is not for everybody. I'm sure guys in my situation right now who may have who've been out, who, who hasn't played a snap of NFL football for a year and a half, uh, may decide to stop, you know, stop training or stop doing anything. This like it's you're only as as strong as what you're made for, and I think in situations like what we just spoke about, about thinking that I would win all the time, not everybody would think like that. And I'm sure that there are guys who may think like, I, I would rather go to a movie on a Sunday knowing that we don't have a chance to go to this playoff or even have a chance to win this game because this team is so highly rated. Nobody thought that we'd be the year that um, we beat Green Bay here, that we'd be the team to beat Green Bay because, one, we were the team who – had just fired a coach and has a new interim coach now, you know? So, yeah. Do Vic, do, uh, do head coaches make that big of a difference? Maybe that's a dumb question, but, but, oh yeah, you said there are no such thing as dumb questions. Do, uh, do, <laughs> do head coaches make that big of a difference? Do, does coaching matter as much as we think it matters? Uh, yeah. Yeah. As, as uh, young players, like I said, when I was 20, I was in Philly at 23. What is going on? I apologize. I was in Philly at 23, and if I didn't have some of the coaches that I had there, I would have never made it another year in Kansas City. Why do you say um, that? Why do you say that? Because they taught me things that I didn't know about as a as a player in college. I just continue to learn new things, new techniques, new ways to see things. And, uh, yeah, coaching is big. We are professionals. We're professionals in a sense that we get paid for the sport that we play. But there are still a bunch of young guys who haven't developed into the players that they could possibly be. I feel like I was one of those guys who didn't develop into the player that I could be, more so because I personally chose not to work on something that probably needed to work on, needed to be worked worked on, but then there could have been like there's situations where I've had a coach not have the time to be able to teach me something or to be able to point out what it is that's wrong. Where in college you can go to your coach and do that. Professional, you're a professional. You figure out these things yourself and you fix them. And if you need help fixing them, that's what the coaches are there for. They're there to teach you the game plan and teach you about the game. The rest of it, the athletic ability, is held to ourselves. Interesting. And, yeah. Well, are you are you um when you're on a team and the offense is awful, like when you're on a team and your offense is averaging whatever eight, ten, twelve, fifteen points a game, um, how hard is it? That's rough. It is. That's that's, that's rougher than losing, if it makes sense. Because <laughs> if you're a defense that's good, and that's a like. Going to college made me see that I don't have to play offense and defense. I have my side of the ball. They have their side of the ball. They never come over here or know anything about what we do. In high school, I played both sides, so it was a bit different. But going to the professional, like, you only do defensive stuff. Like, And when the offense is not, quote-unquote, pulling their weight, it's three phases to the game, special teams, offense, and defense. And if everybody else is doing their thing, then – 
uh, the offense not pulling their weight, it's hard on the defense. But the game is won as a team. It always has and always will be. So if, if a team doesn't score, you can't win, regardless of what, what amount of points our offense is putting on the ball, on, on, the, on the scoreboard. Do you, are there, do there, do you feel like there are, I, you know, I just read a, actually a really interesting book. Uh, it was called Collision Low Crossers, and it was about the New York Jets. And it was, uh, yeah. it discussed specifically sort of the defense's frustration, the Jets' defensive frustration with Mark Sanchez and the offense and how there became this sort of division on the Jets between the offense and the defense. Um, where the defense just was basically like, will you guys please score some points? This is embarrassing. Does that happen more often than, than one would think? You know, is it is is a football team a team, or is it more a division of units? <laughs> That's a real good question. <laughs> it's, it's both. I can't say that it's one and not the other. I mean, it's formed as a team, as an organization. But like I said, guys think about their side of the ball and their responsibilities and can't really worry about what everybody else is doing. So where it's a team, it's also a, a division of three different parts. Right. So those three different things. So are you, are you, you know, I, um, I come from like this really sort of liberal hippy dippy New York background. Right. <laughs> and, and I always like, I always love the idea. All right. So like, this is, this is more than you asked for, but like growing up, I was in this town and my best friend was black and my other best friend was Asian. And we had this whole, like, I played on this basketball team that was like the United Nations of I'm Jewish and this whole thing. Right. And I always had this goal or I always had this idea that sports was the ultimate binder that it brought all different people together. And then I ended up covering major league baseball. And I remember walking into clubhouses my first year and being really sort of disappointed that all the white Southern players are sitting together playing cards. The black players are sitting together at a different table playing cards. You'd have the Dominican players playing dominoes at their own table. That it was a, you know, it was a very diverse environment, but, but in that environment, it was very divided. And I wonder, is that true in the NFL as well or no? Um, I say yes and no. I, I know a little bit about baseball, having been uh, my my friend and business partner, his um, his girlfriend's dad played Major League Baseball for many years, and he tells me and him he tells us stories all the time about the baseball locker rooms and what you know what goes on and what's happened, and uh, even talking about baseball, having baseball talk. I I really love baseball as a kid. But listening to his stories and listening to how how baseball players are, so to say, as much as they're a team, that's a very individual sport. If you can't hit, you can't play. Most of you're good at one thing, you be good at that one thing, and you're going to get paid for it. A hitter is a hitter. A, a guy who's fast and can steal bases is a guy who is fast and can steal bases. And all those guys come from different backgrounds. They don't have to be friends. They don't have to like each other as long as they're doing their part. Football is a little bit different. You have to got you got to you have to be able to depend on the person who's next to you. So those barriers of coming from different backgrounds are kind of they have to get broken down because you have to communicate to play 
football on a team. Whereas in baseball, if there are three, like you said, black guys hanging out together and three white guys all hanging out and three Puerto Rican guys all hanging out together, that's because they're from those same areas. But it's, it, those they don't have to. Right? They don't have to communicate it. They don't want to in order to win as a team because it's very individualized as much as it's a team. But football is a bit different because you, you, you have to break down those walls in order to play as a team. And be but, but are there guys, like just as an example, you play with the Chiefs, are there guys you will say more than, not because of any animosity, just because of life, that are there guys on the roster you can be on the team the whole year and you won't say more than 10 words to? Uh, yeah, uh, and I think that comes from age difference too, you know, and, and culture. Like there's, I'm trying to see if I can give you a great example. Like a Mike Vrabel, when he was there, Yeah, I talked to the guys. He played defense. He, I wouldn't say much to him more so because I didn't know how to get to know him because he was such an older player. He's a veteran. And when I did speak to him, it was all very, it was very insightful. And he helped me as a player and as a teammate. But, you know, there's not much to say to a guy when you're 24, 25 years old and he's 35 and has a family and two kids. It's just, it's just different than not knowing how to talk to him. But, was never a moment where I, I never felt like I couldn't talk to him, if that makes sense. No, I understand. I understand. Yeah. But, but I always think it's interesting. Like, there's this idea. It's a funny thing. Like, in professional sports, there's this idea that's often stated of family. You know, we're a family. This is a family. You hear coaches say it all the time. This is a – we're a family, you know. And, and, and yet, I've never heard of a family where, <laughs> where they can cut you. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and I just think it's interesting. Like the word "family" is used in a very sort of weird way in pro pro sports. Number one, they can cut you, and number two, you know, you may go a whole year and say five words to Matt Castle just because right. he's a quarterback and you play defensive. I just think it's interesting. I mean, is a sports team a family? Is it? Do you think of it that way when you're in the moment? And in, in the moment on game days, <laughs> everybody leads an individual life and. Not so much. That changed when you're not able to be around those guys. Being in college, you live around everybody that you're on the team with, and you're going to see them every day in classes and every walk, and pretty much your every walk of life that you have on campus because you're around everybody all the time. But when you professional sports, people have different lives, different families, different agendas, different perspectives on life, and uh, it's a family on Sundays, a family at practice, family in in the meeting rooms. But outside of it, it's different. But the teams who do do well usually have a tighter-knit group as far as, um, I guess, a family outlook. Is it is it hard not to have um, – is it hard to avoid – even if you're a decent guy, clearly you're a decent guy. Is it is it hard to avoid um, jealousy, looking at a teammate, whatever, your safety, maybe there's another safety and you think – I, you know, I'm better than this guy. He's only getting whatever time because he was a second-round pick and I was a free agent. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. is that very, very, very hard to avoid or to stop yourself from thinking that way? Yeah, it's hard to. When you don't know know who you are, and I'm saying that from a, from the perspective of where I am now as a person, having grown and, and matured, yeah, you get jealous of guys because they're a first-round or a second-round pick because you feel like you're – you, you're just as good as them, or you can do what they're doing. You just know that 
they have to get paid. That's the mindset that they or a person who may be jealous thinks. But you're also looking at a, a, a team full of egos. The 61 guys, <laughs> and it's all ego everywhere, and that makes makes players. So yeah. Can you be a can can a guy be a? Uh... This is going to sound like a question where you automatically have to say yes, but actually, I I hope it's I hope it's not an automatic. Can a guy be a good pro football player without having a huge ego? You know, is it possible to succeed and not be egomaniacal? Yes, it is. I I do think that that's possible, and I say sixty-one guys full of egos. There's something that allowed every single person that got to that level to be motivated by something to get there. And uh, that most, some, some, for, for some motivation could be for their families or some could be for their, um, their friends or representing their school or, or whatever it may be. But, what, was it, what was it for you? Wait, Richard, what was it for you? For me? Yeah. It was, man, <laughs> that's a good question. I, I really just enjoyed having fun. I think when when things stopped being so so fun to me, when I saw the business side of it, I, like I said, I, I, it it did something to me, and it didn't allow me to perform the way that I needed to. But I wanted to do everything. Like I'm very strong and family oriented. I love my family a lot, and that's what I was doing this for is to provide hopefully a better life for myself so that I can provide a better life for my family and kind of let it trickle down. But I also knew going into this, this is a very, this is a job that has a very short career. So. Right. So are you a guy? So you, uh, you, uh, you are the, you founded a company, uh, DKC automation that does uh home automation. You're based in Kansas city still, correct? Yeah. Still in Kansas city. Are you a guy who still holds out very strong, you know, optimism slash hope that you will get back in the NFL? Or are you, or are you more of a guy who's kind of hoping, but kind of thinking, eh, it may not happen? I am optimistic, but very realistic. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, I'm optimistic. I'm hoping. I'm making sure that I'm prepared. The opportunity that I have. So in, uh, I'll talk about Detroit. I got hurt in Detroit in preseason. Strain calf last week of cuts, um, got cut due to injury. At least that's what I feel. I had a pretty, a pretty decent preseason. Um, but then went to Canada later on, what was earlier this year and wasn't prepared mentally for the change and for, um, most of the change of scenery, change of climate, change of the game, change of position, um, change of how I even carry myself. I lost a lot of weight to go and play corner and, uh, as much of all the, as much as all those things were changed had changed for me, I wasn't ready to accept them. So when I'm performing, I'm not performing to the best of my abilities because of a blockage of other things being more important in my life, more so than anything. So um, to today, like I'm, I'm very optimistic, knowing what I know now, having learned from those situations that I was in. Um, I'm optimistic. I'm training, making sure that I'm ready and prepared whenever the whenever the opportunity presents itself. But is, but if it doesn't happen, 
this is a moment in my life where I'm I'm staying fit, I'm staying healthy, and I'm when I'm also doing something else that I could possibly do for the rest of my life, or um, I could not. I, I could drop like it's it's so many things that could happen. I'm I'm very I'm an optimistic person, man. Was it when you when you go to say you you played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and I mm-hmm. I've always actually been fascinated by the, fascinated by the CFL, and in particular fascinated by NFL veterans who go to the CFL. Because I feel like generally, but you tell me if I'm wrong, there's sort of an attitude, maybe not intentional, but sort of like, crap, I'm going to, I'm going to own this league. I, I played in the NFL and now I'm going to Canada. Are you kidding me? Is that, is it hard? I mean, am I wrong? You're laughing. Am I, am I wrong in that? Is it hard to sort of go from, yeah, I'm playing for the Kansas City Chiefs to, yeah, I'm playing for the Rough Riders. Yay. Yeah. Yay. When I just mentioned to you, I said I wasn't prepared. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. It's like you pulling my thoughts away from me, man. Uh, but yeah, it, it was that. Uh, it was a lot of that. I've never played. I had never played corner in my life, and uh, well, I played corner corner back in high school when I was a freshman. But um, yeah, I went to Canada. I'm going to play this new position, this new game. This is going to be easy. It's going to be fun. I played for the cheese. Just going to Canada. And that was a part of me not being ready. I was I didn't have my mindset to go and work and do the things that I needed to do in order to play on that game. Congrats to Saskatchewan. They won a great cup this year. And I said that to the general manager as I left um, the, the day I got cut from the team. I was I told um, Mr. Jeremy's his name. I told Jeremy, I was like, man, I appreciate this opportunity. I know and feel that you all win the great cup this year. And sure enough, they won it this year. That was they—they they had a really good team, a really strong secondary. I would have—it would have been great to be a part of that. So is that your own fault? Like, do you look back at that and say, "This is a this is a pot, an opportunity that I screwed up"? Yeah, I, I look at it as my fault. I mean, I was a, one egotistical. That's the one thing that, uh, as as a born again Christian, God despises that He doesn't like arrogance, and I was arrogant at that moment. I was going to be the man, so to say, and the, my my opportunity and the reason why I was going, why I was even presented the opportunity faded away because I didn't take it for what it was. I wasn't ready. Right. So you, uh, you're, you know what your problem is, Richard? You said you were born again Christian. I think if you were Jewish like me, you would be more humble because we're not good at any sports. So we have no reason at all to be cocky about anything even remotely. So, so if you really, if you really want to be humble, become Jewish because we stink at pretty much everything. So, you know, I'm like where I am, man. I'm good. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> that was a hum, pretty much that was humbling. And I've been humbled a many times since. So. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a, I, I mean, and there's a value in that, isn't there? I mean, we all, uh, we all have to have our moments where we mm-hmm. we fall flat on our face. I, th- I think there's some there's some power to that, don't you don't you think? Yeah, it allows you to get back for for the person who doesn't quit. It allows them to get back a lot stronger than how they fell down. Listen, Richard, uh, Richard, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate you appearing on uh, on the Quazcast, and uh, you know I wish you the best of luck in your career. And hopefully, uh, maybe next year we'll see you as a uh, we see you as a uh, as a member of the New York Jets, and you can. You're invited over to the Perlman House for some uh, for some bagel and locks anytime you want. I'd, I'd, I'd appreciate that, man. It was a pleasure talking to you and doing this interview. And 
and I appreciate you having me on. No, thank you. And the uh, the, uh, the Quadcast can be heard every week on thescore.com and also downloadable on iTunes. So uh, thank you very much for, for uh, listening this week. For more great interviews, subscribe to the Quadcast on iTunes. And you can follow Jeff on Twitter, at Jeff Perlman. Yeah.